The views and opinions expressed by any hosts or guests of WJMS Radio do not reflect the beliefs of its owners or associates. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to WJMS Radio or the show hosts whose words, advice, and or opinions appear from or on our website or on air. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Speaker Box on WJMS Radio, radio reimagined. Good evening and welcome to The Speaker Box. This is Rachel Kate and I have here with me the Georgia State Director of All Voting is Local, Aklima Kondoker. We are here to discuss voter suppression, and if you aren't familiar with the state of Georgia, even after the 2020 presidential and senatorial elections, then you should know that Georgia has a devastating history of suppression in the state. And unfortunately, we are still combating combating those attempts. Um, So I'd recommend bracing yourself as we'll be talking about modern attempts of voter suppression and how to spot them and then how to combat them. I'd like to first start off with hearing a little bit about your career and voting as local, and thank you so much for joining. Certainly, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to join. This is such an important conversation, and I am so thrilled to be a part of it. So again, my name is Aklima Kondoker. I'm the Georgia State Director here at All Voting is Local, where All Voting is Local is a campaign of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, the the nation's largest civil rights coalition. And the work that we do here is to fight barriers to the ballot. So that essentially means doing whatever we can to advocate for increased ballot access to make sure that more people can successfully vote. It's as simple as that. Prior to my time with All Voting is Local, I was a staff attorney and the senior manager of the Voting Access Project at the ACLU of Georgia, where the Voting Access Project is actually a project that I created and spearheaded designed to increase access to make sure that more people can successfully vote. And so I am thrilled to be continuing this work with All Voting is Local and so happy to see that um, in the face of so many barriers to the ballot, Georgians still showed up and showed out at the last election and the election prior. So, so looking forward to this conversation. That's so great. You are doing some of what I would love to do in my future political career. Um, So we'll start off with something that I've noticed is that there are people who don't think that voter suppression is prevalent. I've seen arguments that the Voting Rights Act of 1965 ended it, and I've heard that, you know, if, if there was suppression, it would be stopped in law, and therefore, since it's not, then it's not real. Um, So how would you combat this argument that voter suppression is not real? This is something that I still struggle with combating in debates. Yes, um, it's interesting. And I think that when a lot of people think about, let's just say laws in general, they figure that whenever there's a law in place, that is going to fix any issue that the law is designed to combat. And that is the end of it. But that is not the case with all of our laws. And that certainly is not the case with voter suppression. So first off, let's start by defining it and looking at the historical context in which it breeds. So very simply, Merriam-Webster defines voter suppression in US history and politics as any legal or extra legal measure or strategy whose purpose or practical effect is to reduce voting or register 
registering to vote by members of a targeted racial group, political party, or religious community. So let's start by looking at this definition because it is super broad, right? It encompasses several different types of policy considerations, legal considerations, and also general activities, so social activities, also by the people as well as by government officials. So what the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was designed to do, it specifically outlawed discriminatory voting practices that prohibited Black people from voting, especially across Southern states. So after the Civil War, Black voters across the South faced monstrous barriers to voting, largely under Jim Crow policies, including literacy tests, poll taxes, arbitrary tests like guessing how many bubbles are on a bar of soap or how many marbles are in a jar. Black voters also faced harassment, discrimination, intimidation, and physical violence if they tried to register to vote. So we now have a law by the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that specifically said, all of that stuff is illegal, you may not do that. Now that is only the first step because what makes a law effective is number one, identifying a problem and making that problem illegal. In other words, making it something that is not sanctioned under the law because then we have an appropriate punishment to hopefully deter people from doing that. But what we really ought to focus on when we're talking about voter suppression is what its impact is on the communities. So the disparate impact that we see on those communities of color. So we, we know that having a law to fix these issues is only a first step because there have been clever mechanisms to stall and stop people from voting. And really that's the point. The point isn't whether Jim Crow laws are in place, it's whether certain policies or practices disproportionately discriminate against people of color, the, the protected class of people who have a longstanding history of disenfranchisement. And we have seen that over our elections in 2020 and 2020. 21. We've disproportionately seen long lines and machine breakdown in Black communities, and we are currently faced with harmful legislation that will make it harder for voters of color to cast a ballot. So really, where there is no law against long lines, just like there wasn't a, any law against poll taxes prior to the Voting Rights Act, we understand that the point of poll taxes is to make it more difficult for communities of color to vote because they we know that those are where our poorest Americans are. So it's going to be more difficult for them to afford to pay that in order to gain entry into the ballot box. Same goes with things like long lines. That is a form of suppression. It is, especially if it disproportionately impacts a segment of the community, a protected class that has historically been disenfranchised, such as the Black community. So where we do have the Voting Rights Act to be the, the first comprehensive step to say, look, this behavior is not cool, don't do it. Don't do these things that are clear and targeted against these communities. We also recognize that there is, that, that voter suppression is more subversive, right? It's, they don't come right out and say, black people need not vote. We know that's illegal, but instead, we are looking at how policies and practices are in place, things that are more subversive to make it more difficult to disproportionately impact those communities such that they are unable to vote. And that is voter suppression. It's intentionally convoluted, it's intentionally secretive, and even though that is true, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that it can be harder to identify, but it certainly can be identifiable. Wow, that was said. 
absolutely perfectly and so clearly, um, which kind of leads us into the conversation about absentee ballots and the use of voter ID. That's become a very national conversation in this past, or leading up to and then following this past 2020 election. Um, and to be more specific with an example on the state of Georgia, we've had roughly the same relaxed absentee ballot regu regulations for about 15 years now. Um, an ID hasn't been required for absentee ballots, um, but Georgia GOP leaders are trying not just to require reasons for absentee ballots, but also an ID. Um, and they want to limit the use of ballot boxes, if not get rid of them altogether. And to me, at least, this seems like a direct attack on voter rights and voter accessibility, as well as a direct response to pressure from the former President Donald Trump. Um, and even on elections that are not normally taking place during the pandemic, like the 2020 election, absentee ballot voting is actually more utilized by older Republican voters. So by Georgia Republicans trying to limit absentee ballots because of Trump, um, they're actually harming their own vote. So what do regulations like these and GOP pressure to limit absentee ballot mean for voting? And if you can answer this, why are such aggressive policies like this that are clearly intended to limit voting being introduced and successfully introduced? So I'll take the, the first piece of your question. What do these regulations like this GOP pressure to limit absentee ballot mean for voting? Quite clearly, it means that these are now new barriers to accessing the ballot. By making it more difficult to vote absentee, you are limiting the options that people have to access the ballot. And the people who typically have less of an option to access the ballot are communities of color, those classic traditional disenfranchised communities that have, have a history of not being able to access the ballot, our elderly voters, our poor and rural voters, and our voters with disability who historically have had a harder time to access the ballot. I think what we've seen in the wake of the pandemic is this incredible need for us to have effective vote by mail, effective absentee voting, as we call it here in Georgia, so that everybody can participate. And that was something that we understood very clearly. We as, uh, we as people who work in the civil rights, voting rights community, but also we as, as the state of Georgia, our secretary of state started out last year by sending all active voters an absentee ballot application. Why was that? And, and that is because they understood the importance of making the vote accessible and available to all. But also categorically prior to 2020, I think, we had more momentum from Republican white voters to use absentee voting. But since 2020, the momentum has shifted where we see more people of color, more democratic leaning people using absentee voting. And that ultimately shifted the political landscape in Georgia. Now, because of that, directly because of that, we are now seeing so many voter repressive bills come out of our legislature to, to really roll back that access that so many voters had previously enjoyed. And so the second piece of your question, which I think I'm, I'm, I'm headed into right now, is why are such aggressive policies like this that are clearly intended to limit, limit voting being introduced? Quite simply, it's because the political landscape has changed in Georgia. Where our GOP has previously endorsed absentee voting, in fact, celebrated that since 2005, we've had no excuse. We know we've heard from Secretary of State Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling that our elections are safe. 
and that we've had so many audits done to show that there are no election irregularities to necessitate restrictions on absentee voting. We've heard that out of their own mouths, but this has changed now that our November elections have concluded and our January runoffs have concluded and Georgia has flipped blue. I don't think that it's a coincidence that now all of a sudden we have anti-voting legislation, anti-voter legislation, because let's be clear, this is an attack and an assault on the voting rights of people. Everyday Americans, everyday Georgians that enjoy absentee voting because they work a job that's nine to five. They may not have the luxury of being able to work from home. They may not um, can, they may not be able to afford childcare. They may be also balancing a uh, childcare at home or, or have other responsibilities that make it really prohibitive for them to vote in person on a single day. And let's also be clear that what absentee voting does is it gives voters the benefit of choice. It gives them more options. So they have a longer period in which to cast their ballot. It's really designed so that everyone can participate. But since we've seen that the participation in 2020 and 2021 has led the politics of Georgia to change, what we're seeing from our GOP-led uh, Congress is that they are more interested in pushing forward politically motivated legislation than legislation that is designed to uphold the, and represent the interests of the people. So the people are not represented in these anti-voter bills. Politics are represented in these anti-voter bills because if they were listening to the people, they would be focusing on adding more polling sites because that's what we need. Georgia has had rolling closures in the wake of the Shelby v. Holder decision in 2013 that allowed counties to bypass this pre-clearance requirement um, that's inherent in our Voting Rights Act because we no longer have those strong protections in place. Several Southern states have just closed polling locations. They no longer have to get that clearance from the Department of Justice. And so what that means is they can reduce locations in critical areas where we know there is a lot of democratic support for certain candidates. And if they can do that, they can freeze those voters out of the process and they can hold the power themselves and continue to enjoy that, which it appears to be what their ultimate goal is. And so it is very troubling to see anti-voter legislation put forward because all it does is hurts voters and really undermines our democracy. And speaking of anti-voter legislation, we have House Bill 531 in the state of Georgia. Um, officially, it's been passed by that House and is now going to the state Senate. Um, so this actually um, very real could get Past. And all I hope is that it'll get shot down in court. I don't know that for sure. Um, but this bill is a major voter suppression bill. It's going to limit voting times. It'll limit voting days. It's going to outline line warming. It'll require um, IDs to be sent in with absentee ballots. It'll limit ballot drop-off times, um, including closing ballot boxes altogether on election day itself. Um, but whereas um, voting was originally from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., that would move from 9 to 5, which is when a lot of our voters tend to work. Um, so this bill is very aggressively targeting um, the low-income working class. Um, and so 
while people will argue, and I've seen this argument, that um, this is keeping the integrity, quote unquote, of voting, um, I see this as losing voter integrity. Um, so what effects will this bill have on voter turnout? And what does this mean if the bill passes? Because it's going to be devastating, I can tell you that. Yes, uh, painfully, this will depress turnout because as you said, and you're right, it limits early voting to nine to five, the hours that most people work. It also would push drop boxes inside of a government building to make it more difficult for people to access and would also close drop boxes at a certain time where people were able to enjoy last year for the very first time being able to use that absentee ballot drop box to safely and securely return their absentee ballot. We know that we've experienced a lot of trouble um, using the mail system. I mean, not just in Georgia, but just throughout the US, we, we saw tremendous cuts to federal funding around our United States Postal Service. We've seen issues with mail being lost and things like that. And, and if you are having an issue with getting your ballot out in time and there happens to be a problem that you have to address with your ballot and now your county has to use the postal service to send it back, that also presents a larger issue. And also the, on the topic of cost, Georgia doesn't pay for postage for you to send your absentee ballot application. And so another benefit to having the Dropbox is that it is free. You don't have to pay an additional cost to send your ballot in. And it is direct communication between you and your county because your county will receive it right away. And then they will be able to communicate with you directly if they need to reach out to you about an issue concerning your ballot. And so there are more benefits to having robust early voting. And I think the, the part that's especially troubling is the fact that we are ignoring our past history. So we're ignoring everything that happened over 2020, all of the missteps and mishaps and issues that really plagued early voting that require us to rethink how we conduct early voting. We need to have more resources in place so we can have more staff to process absentee ballots. We shouldn't be looking for ways to restrict absentee voting so that voters can't access the ballot. That in no way uh, helps voters, voters access the ballot. And it doesn't help counties either because they are unable to handle the backlog of absentee ballots that have been coming to them that we saw over 2020. I think it's important to note that over 2020, we've had issues with our machines, these Dominion voting machines that were just previewed for the first time last year. We had issues where locations had to open up later than expected. In other words, where a location was set to open at 7 a.m., all of a sudden had to open at 10 a.m. And then they extended their hours beyond 7 p.m. to accommodate the people that were waiting in line to vote that were unable to enter into that building. So now if we take that power away from counties, if we say you can only conduct your elections from nine to five, we're giving people this set amount of time already. What if there's a problem and they have to open later? Let's say they have to open at 11 or 12. Now the county can't decide to extend their hours past five. Under HB 531 and under SB 241, another really harmful restrictive voting bill, they would have to go to a court to get an order to extend their hours thereby shrinking the window that people can even access the ballot. So there are tons of problems with this. Um, number one being that most people work nine to five, most people have family obligations and other things that they are dealing with, especially while we're still in a pandemic. But now we've taken the power away from counties to successfully administer their elections, 
without effective resources in place to help them conduct our elections. So this is really hurting voters and hurting our counties. And my, my greatest wish is that we would have legislators who would think about our counties and our voters first and not their political gains. And I think it's important, um, something that I realized is coming from a student perspective. I realized that this bill also makes it a lot harder for me to vote. And I'm already, I live in an extremely privileged neighborhood and very rarely have any issues. Um, but I will also be leaving, um, transferring to a new university, which means I would either have to travel in order to vote and with limited times, weekends are no longer accessible to me. I'd have to go during a time I have class, potentially miss classes, um, as well as with the limitations on absentee voting, that could also make it near impossible for me to just send in a ballot being two hours away from home. And so not only does this bill and similar bills affect low-income areas, it also affects the student population a lot more than people realize. And students do tend to kind of be more liberally inclined, which is also, you know, a large portion of voters that we lose to bills like this and inaccessibility. We I think we've established that voter, suppress uh, voter suppression tactics are extremely good and extremely subtle. So what are some ways that you've personally dealt with voter suppression and how should people be looking out for them? Like what are some telltale signs of voter suppression? Absolutely. So uh, let me take that question kind of in reverse. So I think that the telltale signs of voter suppression is number one, keep in mind that they're subversive, they're hidden, right? Because we have laws federally and it, depending on where you're from at the state level that are designed to combat overt voter suppression, the sort of obvious voter suppression that looks at Jim Crow laws and, and other um, uh, other events from the past to really inform how our laws are going to combat them. So we know that it's probably not going to be overt. It's going to be hidden. And how it's typically hidden is by police intimidation. It's hidden by long lines. So anything that will make it more difficult for you to access the ballot. So any system that's in place that may not purposefully be in place specifically to make it more difficult for you, but could disproportionately impact a, a certain faction of the community that has been disproportionately affected by these policies. So long lines, polling place closures, especially in black communities where people do not have access to the ballot. Now, some people might say, oh, but they have their location. This location is seven miles away or something like that. If you're in Georgia, that might be something that we hear. If a location that was previously, let's say, closer and more accessible for people has now been pushed back a little bit. It may sound reasonable if somebody says, well, this other location is available, it's only seven miles away. Well, we have to consider the context there. Who lives there? Is it predominantly people of color? Are there sidewalks? Is there access to public transportation? It's not enough to say that you have a location. It's more important for us to focus on whether you can actually access that location. And that's what makes it hidden and really subversive and, and difficult for a lot of people to identify. But it's difficulty in identification does not mean it doesn't exist. So as far as my personal story with voter suppression, back in August at our August primary, I um, went to a location in East Point that was a nursing home that was a, a, a voting, a, a polling site. And at that location, people were standing in line for many, many hours. It was 9 p.m. when I arrived on scene and lines wrapped around the building. And, and that day was balmy. It had rained. And here you're seeing 
mostly people of color standing there with their children, their feet are hurting, they're missing time that maybe they could be at work. And, and really let's consider what that means. If a person has to miss work in order to vote, that means they're missing money. And what does money do, right? Let's not forget that money buys groceries. Money pays for rent. Money pays for diapers. So if you're missing on money in order to vote, then you're missing critical aspects of your life that you can no longer control in order to access this fundamental right to vote that everyone has a right to in this country. So, so let's not forget about how important that is just for people in general. Um, but I'm on scene at about 9 p.m. and there were issues with uh, the poll workers not letting people inside. And so we had a court order that said that, you know, we, you have to let the people inside, what's going on, you have to extend your hours, all of that. So we stood by, it was me at representing All Voting is Local. We had folks from Black Voters Matter with us and people from um, New Georgia Project who were also with us that were there for number one, folks were there for line warming because I said to you that folks were standing there for hours. These people are thirsty. These people, if, if you're thirsty and you're standing around for hours, never mind the fact that um, you can't go to work. So you're missing money, missing diapers, missing all of that. But as a human being, you need water, right? Just to exist, to subsist as a human. You're not given that. And this is something that HB 531 wants to take away. But back in August, we were able to provide those resources. What was really troubling was that we continued to wait and it was about 1 a.m. while we were still waiting and people were still in line to vote and the police showed up. It went from one officer to two officers all the way up to six officers who stood by to watch us watch the voters as they tried to vote. Now, why that is suppression? The long lines, number one, suppression. If we outlawed line warming, so prohibiting something as simple as giving someone a bottle of water who has already decided that they're going to vote and you're not even pushing them towards a, a particular candidate. So this isn't federally sanctioned at all. This is something that's allowable to do you would be making it more difficult for that person to exist as a functioning person who, who lives within our economy, but also as a functioning human. You are asking them to put their humanity and their economic needs aside, to trade one for the, for the other in order to vote. That is a poor false choice, one that no one should have to make because our elections are ordained under the constitution to be fair and accessible and free to all. And really that is what the Voting Rights Act and, and several of our amendments have attempted to do for black voters across the country. But then you have the imposition of the police. And that is a clear and classic intimidation tactic that we saw under Jim Crow laws. Having police enforcement present, they don't have to do anything. We know from the news, we know from just coverage generally that the police have a lot of leeway in what they could do to people and what they could get away with when it comes to people of color specifically. So that is intimidating. And it was intimidating to me because I was there as, as a lawyer and as an advocate to make sure that people could access the ballot. And I, as one person, as now the lines have dwindled and there were only four or five people left, standing there at one o'clock in the morning with six police officers watching us felt intimidated. Never mind the voter who, who might have a previous misdemeanor or parking tickets or have a family member who was killed at the hands of the police because this is our reality. Let's not forget this is the reality for so many Americans, particularly Black Americans. To see police presence there 
taking into account our recent history and our past history of racially motivated violence is intimidating and it's scary. And having the Voting Rights Act is not enough. We need more and we need our states and our legislators to understand that our voters deserve more. And that's what they ought to be working on. They should not be focusing on their own political gain or their own political careers because that is what's most convenient to them because they can easily access the ballot whenever they want to. They ought to be thinking about voters. They ought to be thinking about ways to make voting more accessible for all. That is where the real work begins. And I've yet to see it start in the legislature. Yeah, if anything, the legislator is regressing on voter rights, uh, as we are talking about. Um, but the next thing that I view as voter suppression is registration deadlines. They are extremely frustrating. In Georgia, you have to register a certain amount of days. I think it's like three weeks before um, the actual like early voting starts. Um, and while every state has its own regulations, um, there are 21 states who have same day voter registration. Um, and to think more internationally, there are countries whose registration is automatic, you know, maybe based on government records or census counts. Um, and Argentina, the Netherlands, and Israel all have that automatic registration, as well as Austria, for example, that just don't require registration at all. All you need is an ID, I believe. Um, so my question is, if same-day voter registration or even registration at all isn't required and it works and is implemented globally, why do we still have registration weeks in advance and why is the answer voter suppression? So lawmakers will tell you voter registration is necessary. Uh, this drawn process, this long drawn out process is necessary because they need time to accurately reflect eligibility in their poll books. However, technology has really rendered that point moot. If I can book a reservation of any kind on the same day in a tent, I can get a car, I can get a hotel, I can get groceries then why do we need advanced registration? The answer, of course, is because it's a way to suppress or depress turnout among a certain constituency, namely the young, mobile, uh, mo immobile, and people of color. These people, it makes it more difficult for those folks because the more time you put in between the person and their registration, the more time you put in between them and their access to the ballot, and the less likely it is that they'll be able to participate because you keep putting barriers in front of them. You keep putting additional requirements before them, which takes more time, and time is precious. You know, we are all working on limited and borrowed time in, 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 a, in, a, in a large sense. So I think that all of these hurdles are merely in place as a pretense for suppression and nothing more. And again, 21 states out of the 50 states have same day voter registration. So the idea that needing to do it three weeks in advance in the United States is already a moot point. But how do we combat voter suppression tactics given that they're so hard and they're crafty and subtle how do we fight against them? And even once they've already been implemented, such as hospital 541 potentially could be, how, how do we stop that? How do we make it better? So the most important thing to know about um, voter suppression or barriers to the ballot is this theme that I've said throughout that it's hidden, it's subversive, it's meant to be secretive. So we have to understand that first. We have to understand that they're not gonna be overt, that it's real and usually the people implementing them are themselves elected. So a lot of suppression tactics 
come from our elected representatives. So it's important to call out egregious behavior for what it is and educate people about that, that we don't have to sit idly by while our rights are being infringed. We can mobilize, we can call, we can send letters, write emails, we can demand action and create the change that we, we must see. And just a note about the importance of doing this. Our, our organization's name is All Voting is Local because it's at the local level that dictates most of the laws and taxes that govern our lives. So state and local legislators are making and enforcing these voter laws, not federal legislators. So contact your local legislators. They are responsible for our streets, our schools, our sanitary conditions. Yes, there's certainly power in the federal government, but we must also pay attention to what's happening at home. With the slew of bills being considered in Georgia, I encourage everybody listening to take a look at what's going on and why it's going on. Remember, the 2020 election was one of the safest and most secure on record. And we have our representatives on record saying exactly that. If your entire class performs well on a test and the dean wants to throw out the test, results and change the criteria for an A based on false accusations, you'd be pretty upset. And that sounds pretty ludicrous to you. You would mobilize your classmates and peers and call out the dean for making stuff up because that's exactly what it is. That's how you beat voter suppression back. You recognize it for what it is, inform people about what's happening and why it's happening and mobilize until you get the change you want and the change you deserve. Don't let anybody take your hard-earned grade away from you. Don't let anybody take your sacred fundamental right to vote away from you. All right, so my hope is that some of our listeners are outraged by voter suppression and some of the things we've talked about. Um, and hopefully this has been a call to action from them. And again, you mentioned calling Congress, emailing, any way that mobilizes people into taking action is what we want to see in order to combat voter suppression. Um, because if we put pressure on our legislatures and we put pressure on the government, they have to listen to us. They're public servants and we cannot forget that. But thank you so much for joining me on this interview and this conversation about voter suppression. Um, it's been an absolute joy listening to you. I've learned so much. <laughs> thank you so much and likewise it's been a fantastic conversation thank you so much for your great work here and I look forward to connecting again soon yes of course well this is WJMS Radio's The Speaker Box thank you for tuning in and have a great night WJMS Radio thank you thank you thank you far too kind See, we keeps it real. We always gonna keep it real. You can't knock what's real, you know what I'm saying? We telling the truth, man.